Hey guys, episode 86 is Mike McNeves. He's the city manager of Marco Island. And when we came up with this podcast idea, something that city managers, county administrators, and those who want to be in those positions would want to listen to, I think the interview with Mike McNeese is the mean, median, and mode of that. It is exactly what, if I was a city manager, this is what I would want to listen to because Mike has really good insights on organizational structure, what it takes day in, day out, to be a good city manager, his perspective is a little different than others, and I think that makes it a good educational podcast and something really worth listening to. This guy's been around. He's been here a long time. He knows his business. He's been in a variety of different capacities, and his mantra is something I think you're going to like. Thanks for joining us. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. This is episode number 86, and we, each week, we interview a city or county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government right here in the Sunshine State. Now, if you have somebody you would like to nominate as a guest, and, and this is good because people are sending us in suggestions, it's been helpful, it's been fantastic, you can either email me at svancor at vancorjones.com or message the FCCMA on Facebook. And on that subject for a second, it doesn't have to be, as you, if, if those of you who are regular listeners, we don't only interview, we mostly interview city managers, deputy city managers. We interviewed a fire chief a couple of weeks ago, county administrators, or people you feel have special insight into local government that you think this is a voice that needs to be heard. If you know that person, read about that person, spoke to that person, drop me a line, svancor at vancorjones.com. So today's episode, we're going all the way to Marco Island. For an, well, Mike McNeese, the city manager of Marco Island, loves to call himself an organization builder. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks. I, I'm really happy to be here. Again. Again, right. <laughs> I'll disclose. Uh, I'm going to blame it on the computer. We've already taped this. And for some reason, the computer, maybe it could have been the loose nut at the keyboard, but the computer did not store the interview. So this is a retaping on our end and brand new to everybody else. But I want to make sure everyone understands I was brilliant in the first interview. I can't say anything what will happen today. So, you know, if it was I don't know, there. Mike, we should go the opposite. You should say it was terrible interview, <laughs> so you can only do better this time. We'll see. <laughs> well, first, first things first. Um Recently, Hurricane Ian went through Southwest Florida. You guys are in Southwest Florida. How did everything turn out? For Marco Island, we were very fortunate. We didn't receive the brunt of the winds uh, that were on the sort of northeast quadrants of the storm. It hit a little farther north. We had more flooding here than, than had ever been seen before. So we had pretty much any home that was to an old flood elevation suffered some flooding damage, but any the newer homes didn't. Uh, we didn't suffer nearly the kind of wind damage our neighbors to the north did. So all in all, we were able to come back up into full function very quickly relative to, you know, we our other friends up north are still still recovering. So Yeah, it's just, and it's going to be a, a long slog, especially Fort Myers Beach, which 
you know, got all of the bad. It got the it got the storm surge. It got the wind. It got the heavy rain. Uh, all of that stuff. How much of you know? So, but you did experience a lot of water. Uh, yes. A lot of water in places that it shouldn't be. Um, how did Marco Island fare in terms of channeling water, holding water, sending water into the right places? Well, a lot of the stormwater improvements that we've made in recent years served us very well. We had a major intersection that that we've put a, a lot of money into that certainly was flooded, but it drained much more quickly than it, it would normally have uh, before. So uh, we fared well. Um, again, we had some some structure flooding, but but the level of damage overall was really, really small compared to what it could have been. So let me ask you about that. Um, you know, so you got lucky uh, or it was good planning. And, you know, as they say, the harder you work, the better you plan, the luckier you get. Does your community understand or recognize that had it not been for that flood control work, um, it would have been a lot worse? Or is it, you know, a lot of times once you do an infrastructure project and things work, everybody's on to the next thing. But you kind of wish they would say, hey, man, by the way, it didn't flood there. No, honestly, I can't say I would describe any of our work as flood control because we're really flat. And when it's going to flood, it's going to flood really the types of things that we've done allow for drainage to be uh, in a major event, drainage to take place more quickly. But as far as that goes, if, if it's going to, I always say the three F's, it's Florida, it's flat, it floods. So um, I, but you, you a lot managed of luck. to deal with all that water appropriately and as quickly as possible. Is right. And the, high, and the higher elevations of the newer construction certainly mm -hmm. make a big difference in, and that will, I'm sure, continue to be uh, the the saving grace as we move forward, building higher. Uh, because when when the ocean's going to come up, there's really not, at least at this point in time, not anything we can do about it. Yeah, big fans blowing it away, right? <laughs> the um, so we talked um, offline about your, you know, you have pretty good experience. I mean, you. I just want to walk through this, guys, for you, just so you know. This this is a gentleman, assistant county manager for 17 years, Collier County city manager in Sarasota, county administrator in Blaine County, which is not in Florida, um, chief operating officer for U.S. Track and Field, uh, worked in the city manager of the city of Melbourne, and now is the city manager for almost four years of the city of Marco Island. Um, anything from that diversity of experience, before we get into your organization building, constant improvement concepts, Anything you could take away from those years? If I was getting ready to get into this business, you would say, Steve, there's a couple of things you need to know if you want to be a city manager, county administrator, you want to be high up in local government. What, what counsel would you give to somebody? Well, <clears throat> I'll tie this back to one of the questions I was asked to prepare for this podcast, which was try to identify what's my thing. What's the, you know, what's the, the main thing I'd hang my hat on? And the more I thought about that, I realized that that I think what my thing is to not just have one thing to, I think it's really important. And if I'm advising a young person coming up, build a broad skill set, build a wide comfort zone to be able to take on things that maybe are not in your comfort zone, but learn quickly to assess what skills you need and assess your own capacities and find ways to build your capacity. So 
um, that broad skill set uh, really, really serves you well. You referenced some time I spent at USA Track and Field. I was the CEO there for a couple of years. And in private business, in the, in the sports business and you know, doing events and, and negotiating with venues and the sort of things that we had to do, sponsorships, um, skill set was really the same. And so having those different things to lean on uh, really makes all the difference and, and even emphasizing really a broad comfort zone. So let's let's talk about how do you get there? Is it through your college education, the master's courses, your online extracurricular courses, books you read, seminars you go to? How do you how do you broaden your skill set? I mean, I'm getting a master's and I'm not. I'm saying let's say somebody's getting a master's degree in public administration. They're going to have a course in this and a course in that. And so that's good. Get your toe in the water on different programs. But how did Mike McNeese broaden his skill set? Well, you ask, you know, is it A, B, C, D, E, or F? My answer is going to be yes. It's all those things. And I, and I think looking honestly at your at your own limitations is really important. Now, here's an example about me personally. Many years ago, I was a low-level bureaucrat with Collier County government, and I recognized that something that would really help me was to be a better public speaker and have more confidence on my feet. Uh, and around that time I got involved with community theater, had a friend twist my arm and drag me to an audition. And, and it ended up being something that I studied over time, you know, acting. I love that. I, 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 I teach a course at FSU and I tell my students all the time, it's a course in political communication, government communication. And so if you only read about political communication and government, you're, you're shortchanging yourself, learn peripheral things, learn about human psychology, read about persuasion, read about other things tangentially related, and you'll improve your school skills. It sounds like what you did. Absolutely. And I, I won't tell you I can act worth a flip, but it's very hard to throw me off in a in a speaking environment uh, because of the skills I've learned along the way through that process. So that's just an example of identifying a, a, a something that would be useful. I mean, obviously training, education, all those things are good, but finding practical ways like that to, to build your skills, I think is really important. And, and, and there's a lot with public speaking, especially, which is one of the, the major things, being able to think on your feet, being able to speak to any audience for any reason, is there's a lot of ways organizations like Toastmasters are great for that for people who don't have a lot of experience and because experience is really the only way you get there. So, um, you know, it's funny um, my, when my son was recently studying for the bar this past summer, um, we were talking about it having some heart to hearts because studying for the bar exam is really hard. It's ten hours a day, six days a week, and I said, Jake, you've you've learned more about how to be a lawyer and study for the bar when you were a rower in high school. And then you tried out for the marching chiefs with FSU and the discipline and the repetition and the discipline, discipline, discipline is where you learned the skills that it's going to take to pass this bar exam, because it's not the knowledge of this law versus that law, this rule versus that rule. It's the discipline to get up every day at eight o'clock and study till six o'clock at night and then have the discipline to cleanse your mind um, and, to, and, and to give it a rest. And then, yeah, so, so to your point about peripheral activities and, and taking an acting class, I remember in, in the 1970s when the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, remember they had the steel curtain mm -hmm. and uh, 
we learned that the coach had had him take ballet lessons. You know, you're like ballet for football, but yeah, that that peripheral learning. Uh, that's a really good point. So your thing is um, organizations and and managing organizations uh, from your from your point of view. What what are some of the insights into being a good manager and building a good strong organization that you've learned over your years? Well, fundamentally, I think just having a mindset that what we come in here every day to do is is make the machine run better tomorrow than it does today and to make to build and i know we the notion of continuous improvement was really popular and from a formal standpoint back in the 90s and, and we all talked about total quality management but i'm what i'm really talking about is more of a mindset than a than a process where and you you nailed it really you talked about your son and his athletics experience um there's a lot being written lately about how it's not really your goals that, that that govern how you do, it's your habits. And that notion of coming in hard, coming in every day and working hard and um, having that just as that I'm working today to be better than better tomorrow, that fundamental mindset applied across the board, uh, I think is really the core thing. Um, now, and instilling that into people that, that work with you. To, is that the same as, you know, you hear, it's, it's, is it the journey of the destination that life is a journey? Um, there are destination points, but, you know, the joke is, you know, when you, when you, if your, your goal is to get to the top of the mountain, um, when you get to the top of the mountain, you're going to see another mountain. <laughs> and Absolutely. you out on the journey. Well, and we, I mean, we've all for years and years and years and years derided the notion, well, gee, that's how we've always done it. Um, well, there's a reason that, that, that we deride that is because, because if you're doing, if your goal is for everything to be just the same as it already is, no one really needs you. Um, so I think for the most part, those of us who are in this business are wired in a different way. We want to make things better. We want things to improve. And and from a city manager's point of view, you're looking organizationally and saying, okay, how are we functioning and how can we function better tomorrow? And then the outcomes from that, the things that you're trying to achieve become almost automatic because if your machine functions well, your, your outcome they take care of themselves. So yeah, I mean, if you look at technology as an example, nine one one technology, police technology, police communications technology. If you didn't move forward in the last twenty years, you know, whether it's with body cams, instant response, quick response, who to deploy, whether it's to deploy law enforcement alone, or law enforcement with a counselor, law enforcement with you know uh, EMT, uh, the public demands. Uh, better because you see something better on TV or wherever you want better and you go, oh, why can't we do that? Why can't the city government's website act a lot more like Amazon's website where I can push a button and get exactly what I want, you know? And so you have to constantly be uh, changing to improving. But I want to go back to your concept because I remember reading something about said, you know, if you're journey oriented, then an impediment is not seen as an end all, right? It's not, it, it's part of the journey. If you're goal oriented and there's an impediment, like, damn it, this is getting in the way of my goal. If you're journey oriented, said, I'm going to 
And so you say constant improvement. Okay, there was an impediment. There was a screw up. Okay, this is how we learn. But you put it in a slightly different context. You called it, it forms good habits. And so help me help me walk through why the different vernacular, because this this is relatively unique. I've done the TQM stuff and I've read all, you know, the Stephen Covey. But why, 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 why do you? Here's, the, here's the best illustration of it I can think of. And it's very timely given where we are in the sports calendar. And I, I wish I could say I thought of this. It's not original by any stretch. But if you we think about if you think about NFL football teams, they all start the year with the same goal. Their goal is to win the Super Bowl, right? And so, but by definition, the vast majority of those teams are going to fail in that goal. All but one. Who succeeds? Not the one with the goal. The team who succeeds is one with the best habits. Who does the daily grind in the most effective way to move themselves to get there? So it's not really who has the best goals. It's who builds the best habits that is the most successful. And to me, that's a really easy way to grasp the concept of, you know, what do you show up for every day? I, I, having worked in the track and field business for a few years, being surrounded by people who have no other reason to do what they do except to help themselves or the people that they work with be better tomorrow than they were today is an amazing environment to work in. And for the most part, the vast majority of the people in that business, that's all they care about. Can they make themselves or the people they coach or the people they advise or train or, you know, whatever it is, that how can they help them be better tomorrow? And if you, you know, it's interesting because in the business world, you look at successful businesses like Chick-fil-A, uh, Target, Amazon, and for years, none of them were profitable, but they kept focusing on a good business model, a good business model, a good business model. And then voila, you look up and you go, who's the biggest retailer in, in you know, one of the biggest retailers in the world is Amazon. Uh, I, you know, to me, it's an annoyance if a, if a Chick-fil-A opens up near because of all the traffic, you know, but whatever they're doing, that process um, is working. And, you know, it's funny, you, you brought up football, two names come to mind. Tom Brady and Jerry Rice, both the greatest of all times at their position, obviously Brady being Brady. But um, the one thing you read about when you really pull away the curtain is how hard they train, that they're the first ones at training camp, they're the last ones to leave year in, year out, especially Jerry Rice. I mean, it's crazy that he was always in the offseason training, 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 developing good habits. And I'm going to guess it's not a coincidence, Mike, you're a long, uh, you're a runner. And in order to be a reasonably successful runner, you have to practice constantly. You have to, whether it's stretching, taking downtime, nutrition, hydration, or running your distance and timing your distance. I mean, does that sort of, I mean, this is sort of the peripheral learning thing coming full circle, but is, does that play into your mindset here to be a better runner? Well, you have to have good habits. There's no question. And another, I guess, another personal, um, Example for me, I was a skinny, stupid kid in 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 you know rural Indiana, trying out and failing to succeed in our junior high school track team, and I stuck to it and, and kept showing up for practice and um, kind of wandered onto the college team where I went to school and uh, wasn't good enough to be there, but they let me hang around and and 
the bottom line is after seven or eight years of that, just showing up every day and doing the work, I was an overnight success. I ended up having some success as a college athlete. So um, that, without question, uh, informed my worldview and taught me that 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 daily grind is really what it's all about. And it doesn't matter how skilled you are to start with or how gifted you are. If you're willing to do the work, you can be successful. Now, in our environment, the same thing is true in in a, running a city or working in a city. It's difficult sometimes, though, because sometimes the calendar or the timing of that sort of um, evolution doesn't run at the same pace as the expectations of those who are watching or your citizens or your elected officials. So, you know, you, you don't always have an unlimited amount of time to make it happen. So you have to factor that in as well. But just to me, it's fundamentally about the mindset and and having the, and you talk about being a runner and I guess I run. So I'd say I'm still a runner a little bit, but um, yeah, it's how, what can I do today to be a little bit better tomorrow? It's just, it well, really and, is and you, you said something and I want to make sure our audience heard it the right way because you said it and I get the irony. You said, you know, I trained for middle school. I kept showing up, kept showing up, kept showing up, eventually made my way through persistence of effort to the college level. And I was an overnight success. And the irony of that, I hope is not missed on our audience. And I want to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy who says it, says it. It's ironic because you weren't an overnight success. It took you seven years of hard labor to get there. You know, people consider um, uh, the Beatles, right? As an overnight success. Uh, I may get the city wrong, but I think it was Munich. They would play 10 hour shifts, six days a week. And they did that for years I was reading an article about it, and they said they estimated that they it was a whole 10,000 hours, the mastery concept, that they had played together as a band for at least 10,000 hours before they got on that famous plane flight to the United States and people lost their minds. Yeah, they were overnight successes. It took them 10 years of nonstop practice to create this sound, to be so fluid that when they were appearing on live television and said, somebody says, no, 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 we don't want you to play that song. We want you to play another song. And it was like, boom, oh, yeah, no problem. 10,000 hours were overnight successes. And, and, you know, and it's a great metaphor also for what city managers do in this regard. You talked at the beginning of the show about um, some of the water management issues you guys have been working on for years. And then this big storm comes along and it manages the water the way it was supposed to. And you said, we had just recently finished it. How many years is that project in the works? Oh, many years. Yeah, no question. A project like that is many years in in conception and for getting the money together and and everything to come together. Yeah, so it's a, it's definitely a long fuse for for any project like that. Yeah. So the identifying the problem, coming up with the solution, funding the solution, then actually building it, which takes a long time. I mean, you've been there almost four years. I'm guessing that that project was started long before you got there. Oh, it certainly predated. And that and so that persistence of effort, that respect of the journey, that love of the journey, that constant improvement is probably the best piece of advice I think anybody can give a, a city manager because Many things you're dreaming of today, Mike, 
that you'd like to see in Marco Island, you may not be there to watch the completion of it. You know, if it takes 15 years to get something done, you're like, yeah, I'm starting this, but somebody else is going to cut the ribbon. Well, and you can apply it not only at the organizational level, but you apply it on the personal level too. And you, I talked about having a, a good assessment of your own skill level and your own, uh, what are the tools in your toolbox and what do you need in your toolbox? And you can apply the same thought process. To, okay, how do I get better at X, Y, or Z? The things that I need to do better to be more successful. So it it, it can apply either place. So I'm guessing in the course of your career, you've hired hundreds of people. How do you, uh, how do you discern? Because I got to believe, you know, we interviewed um, ICMA Man of the Year, Vince Long, uh, a few episodes ago. And he talked, he has a similar thing, but it's about leadership, about cultivating leadership, uh, always being, so you're more journey-oriented, more um, constant improvement-oriented. He was always, let's never forget the customer. Let's never forget who we serve. And everything we do is within their best interest, even if they don't agree at the time. Um, but how do you, it's a tough question. How do you discern that the person sitting across the table, because listen, I'm interviewing for a job with you. I'm putting my best foot forward. I put my best references down. I, how do you, A, recruit, discern that that's the right person who's going to keep that attitude up? And if when they come on board, they don't. So it's a two-part question. How do you get them there? So let's talk with the first. How do you evaluate people? So they can be uh, journey-oriented and constant improvement-oriented. Well, I wish I knew a magic answer to that question. I think there are a lot of elements. I'm looking for people who can think, first of all, and people that have experience that's maybe a little more broad. Give me someone with good aptitude over someone with specific experience every time, someone who knows how to think, someone who's smart, someone who again, has a wide comfort zone, who doesn't have to have things a certain way to be successful. And I think um, it goes a lot to values and and why does a person do what they do for a living? You, you, you talked about that notion of coming in for continuous improvement. Well, that's kind of a value system. And um, and it's that is something you can you can see in people. I also look for people, I mean, we're always asked as managers, well, what do you do to motivate people? Yeah, I thought that was going to be my part B to that question. So you're an employee and they're not quite, what do you do? Well, the best answer I ever heard to that question is, I don't, don't ask me how I motivate people. I want to hire people who motivate me. So ideally we hire people and we help motivate each other. But uh, now you're kind of to, every case is different. And I think you have to, you can't be in this business for, for too many years without you know, like you develop a lot of uh, information about psychology and about what makes people tick. I think every case is different. You have to really make an effort to understand. So what, what it is for you is I have to be constantly mindful for each individual employee that I touch, that they have to see my good habits and they have to know that's expected of them. You're going to be in constant growth mode. Are there times when you see somebody who's just static and you, I got to get this person out of the organization uh, because there's nothing I can do to get them up or do you let them park? Well, yeah. I mean, I can't say that never happens. Sometimes there are people who just, they're either complacent or they're not happy where they are. And, 
And sometimes you help them to, to figure out maybe what's a better destiny for them and then to be where they are. So, but for the most part, people respond. And you mentioned trying to, to lead or being or be a role model. Um, and I think that that really can be very effective if you, if, if you demonstrate and if people will follow, that people will take that lead. Um, and, and frankly, it's it's not that difficult sometimes. But, but yeah. I'm, you, and I'm intrigued, too, by something else that's been a constant part of this conversation or the, the, the base player in this conversation is you're less interested in technical expertise. Now, let's 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 clear the air. If you're hiring a civil engineer, they better have a civil engineering degree. Right. But acting, running, uh, habit forming, it almost sounds like you're saying almost anybody with the right attitude, the right inherent skill set, a little bit of intellect can do these jobs without necessarily, or is it are you is this in supplement to the formal training or in sometimes in lieu of well i have to uh, in spirit of full disclosure i'm a guy with a chemistry degree and a master's in business so as as I, most as most city managers do have chemistry degrees right I, exactly it's, it's what they <laughs> it's what they recommend i think so you know i've i haven't had that formal public administration training uh i, I don't have that on my pedigree so I have have to come to it in a different way. Now you can get there either way. And, and if I had it to do again, if I knew this is what I was going to end up doing for a living, I probably would have studied it. I certainly wouldn't have studied chemistry. That was hard. Um, yeah, but, but the habits you learned, I, I, I was a chemistry major for a while too, and I wasn't as smart as you, except maybe I was because I got out of it, went and got it. You got out of it. So you were way smarter than me. <laughs> when they offered me a job doing titrations for the summer, I thought, no, 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 no. This is not for me at all. Um, I had also written a book uh, from a dinosaur paleontology. spent 17 summers working on one animal, uh, a T-Rex. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's, that's no diversity there. Um, but the habits you learned, the precision you learned, Chemistry, and I tell people this, chemistry is algebra on steroids, okay, because it's algebra, which is just has numbers, it doesn't have letters um, that mean something, obviously they do have, you know, substitute letters, but you learn so much about how to learn, how to study, how to, how to understand the world around you when you're a chemistry major, I would almost argue, I bet you there's so much of that, that you intuitively apply every day. Probably. And I'll tell you, if you stuck around for that fourth year, you would have found out it becomes calculus on steroids. That's calculus, when, yeah, that's, you're exactly that's right. When it equations equations makes it easier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the, the the discipline of that and the, and the again, learning how to think. Uh, I talk about I want to hire people who know how to think for, for themselves. One of my favorite expressions is if you and I always agree, I don't need you. And so I want to hire people who to come to, my, to our team who can think for themselves or are willing to speak up for themselves or are willing to stand up to me and tell me when they think I'm wrong. And so that's really about, about your ability to think. So in, in the going, I want to go back to a second in the hiring process. Is there anything special that you do that you could share with other managers to say, here's what a couple of pointers on hiring that I think have been successful. You know, you've been doing this a while um because and you're building these successful organizations based on the mike mcneese model of think 
improve good habits. Is that is that fair thinking? Improving good habits. Absolutely. I, I think what it would be something that I see people do that I would I would say would be my only tip is don't be in a hurry. If you don't find the right person, don't hire someone. And sometimes you have to limp along and sometimes you have to to make accommodations or or work a little extra hard. But but be patient because these hiring decisions that we make and, and I'm not saying anything revolutionary that everybody listening doesn't already know. That's the mo- really the most important thing we do. So be be willing to be patient. And if you have an expectation, wait until you 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 meet it. And and don't compromise more than you have to in the hiring process. I guess that'd be my only tip. Sometimes we feel like uh, the work's not getting done or, you know, I've got to get a body in there and you end up having to do it again or do it again. And and sometimes you're better off just be patient and, and, and especially in the current environment where we think, oh, there aren't enough candidates and it's really difficult to find people. I need to snap up whoever I can get. But I'm still finding that if we're willing to be patient, the right candidates are out there. And I read somewhere that in business, we're too quick to hire and too slow to fire. And I, it's they're really stuck with me in that I got a problem. I need I need staff today. And I try to solve the problem today. And then once the person's there, you have a level of obligation, especially in government. There's there's more stringent rules and procedures in place to protect that. But then once you realize that person is not the person, you just you you should make the, the decisions quicker so you can move on uh back to the back to the right thing. You know, well, let me let me add my own advice on hiring because I'm terrible at it. Um that having a trusted person who understands the organization, the goals, and the journeys, um offer a second a valid dissenting if necessary, second opinion. And then listen, I got better at hiring when I delegated that and uh, listened to those dissenting opinions because I'm, I'm the worst. I, I hire people because I feel sorry for them. Um, and my business partner is more pragmatic like you. I was like, take our time, walk through this, make sure we got the right person. That is a really good tip. We've done some of that here where you know, we may have a hiring panel and I thought, well, I think I know what this one looks like. I think I know the answer, but let me get a couple more people around the table and let's have another interview and, and get another perspective. And so that can be a really, really good way to to reality check what you're thinking and and have people who see it from a completely different angle. Any moments in your career, I'm going to throw a surprise question at you. Any moments in your career you wish you can go back in time and make a different take a different action or make a different decision? Anything uh, stand out? Um, I, I'd say for the most part, uh, I feel like that I've done the best that I could do with the information I had in the moment. I mean, certainly there are things, knowing what I know now, I might go back and and approach maybe tactically in a different way or or communicate perhaps communicate better in a different way um, would be something I'd say if I had a couple opportunities I, I would have communicated differently um, but the choices and in, in, in you know the value decisions along the way uh, there are no regrets that I quite no I, I'm by, by the way if somebody asked me that question I'd be like you know 
None that come to mind. Um, I want to read something from our notes from the last time. And we wrote, there's nothing glamorous about these daily grinds. Do the work every day, get better, and ultimately you'll succeed. The outcomes speak for themselves. Did I capture that correctly? Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely true. It's, and it's not the sexy part. It's not the, you know, you don't get in the newspaper for it and um, they don't give you awards for that. But but really, that's, to me, fundamentally what what I'm here for. Well, let me tell you why I think that's really important. Um, we talk a lot on this podcast about the role of a city manager is to think big things, do great things, even if you're just part, you have to hand off that baton. Say, I worked in a running analogy. You have to hand off that baton to the next city manager. You're being handed it. If you're goal-oriented and you're outcome-oriented, a lot of times you're going to be sad that I didn't get to cut the ribbon, the mayor did, but that was all my project. But you didn't get to do the project, A, if they didn't hire you, B, if they didn't fund your stuff, B, C, they didn't agree with the policies. But what I like about what you're saying is you're perfectly content to be in the background. Let them get the glory. You do the hard, quiet work that's necessary to succeed. Well, I think you're, in a way, describing the breed. I think that's those of us who do this for a living, and a lot of them are going to hear this podcast will see themselves in it. That that's a little bit just how we're wired. Yeah, hopefully some of you, some of you aren't, and that's short lived, <laughs> right? I was joking. If they're starting to name something after the city manager, that's probably time to go. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want something named after you. Yeah. Um, well, last question, uh, Mike. Um, tell us a little something about Marco Island that we that would be one of those ideas that, oh, I know something about Marco Island. Well, here's, here's, and I didn't even think of this the last time we spoke, so I'm glad I get a second crack at it. Here's something about Marco Island that, that people – uh, I think will surprise some people. One thing about Mark Island, it, it is pretty high density. It was it was platted in the 50s, 60s when lot sizes were fairly small. It's a barrier island, and it, and it is now very nearly approaching build out. So things are pretty dense here, and in a high season, the traffic is pretty high, and there's a lot of activity. But interwoven in the developed. Uh, environment in our community is an amazing variety of wildlife, which includes a number of protected or endangered species that you don't typically see running around your your urban neighborhoods. We have burrowing owls uh, on many properties here that you can see as you walk around on the sidewalks. We have gopher tortoises. Uh, like like I, cohabitating right in the development? Absolutely. In fact, my wife and I did a little bit of a run over the lunch hour today before this podcast, and we stopped and helped to go for tourists across the street on one of our main streets because traffic was backed up waiting for it. So we helped go for tourists get to the other side of the road. We have, I could take- yeah, I hope you put that on your social media page. <laughs> <laughs> I could take you right now and show you a nesting pair of bald eagles uh, that's that's not too far from City Hall here. Um, we have all the wading birds and the shorebirds, the skimmers and the terns and the and um, you know we have bobcats. And, really, you know, the bobcats surprised me the most. I mean, the black skimmers are making a comeback, and they're that's my favorite bird, by the way. You just hit my favorite bird. Well, there you go, and so. 
the the wildlife here is really amazing and and again and we coexist really we think effectively with them here and the gopher tortoises have had a tough couple of years yeah. uh, as traffic picks up but but it's it's kind of a team effort here as i said we help them across the street and people are very aware uh the burrowing owls in particular people love the burrowing owls we have a starter burrow program where we promote that and so that's if there's one thing i think people who aren't from here know don't know as much about Marco it's that that how important the wildlife element is here for something that's so densely developed oh that's that that is a a, a really cool thing and it must make it a real pleasure to live there and I bet you that's bragging rights for a lot of folks right he's absolutely was cool I still stop every time I go by a, a nest of burrowing owls where they're standing around outside because you they're still they're just fascinating and and people here are really proud of that element. Yeah, there's certain animals, no matter how many times you see them, you stop. I mean, whenever you see a dolphin fin come out of the water, I don't care how many, I've seen it, I, I, if I say 100,000 times, that's probably not an exaggeration. I still always stop and go, ooh, that's you so watch it every time, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Mike McNeese, uh, city manager of Marco Island, thank you for doing this, and thank you for doing this again. My pleasure both times. <laughs> well, folks, this is Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. If you have a question or would like to submit uh, the name of a future guest, send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com or message FCCMA on Facebook. Thank you so much for being with us.